The Mark Stein Show. And now, here's Mark. 200 years ago today, August 4th, 1821, the Saturday Evening Post published its first issue. A century or so later, it found an illustrator called Norman Rockwell, and his covers of Life in This Country came to exemplify the word Americana or as we now call it, systemic racism. I think the Saturday Evening Post is just about still going, but what do I know? I haven't strolled a a city downtown in 18 months, so I have no idea whether they still have newsstands and if those newsstands still carry that 200-year-old publication. It's 11 a.m. in Arlington, Vermont, where Norman Rockwell lived for some years, Uh, Population 2,317, which makes it a big, small town uh, by northern New England standards. 11 a.m. in Arlington, Vermont. Midday in the beautiful Canadian Maritimes. Half past noon in Newfoundland and Labrador. 4 p.m. in London. 5 p.m. in Paris. 6 p.m. in Jerusalem. 7 p.m. in the Trucial States. 7.30 in Tehran. 8.45 in Kathmandu. 11 p.m. in Singapore, Hong Kong and Perth. And the early hours of Thursday morning for our listeners in the Pacific. But wherever you are, we welcome you to another COVID double mutation variant hot from the Wuhan Institute of Virology, in which we put uh, the Mark Stein show in one Bunsen burner and our Clubland Q&A in another Bunsen burner. We heat them up. And then we mix them and stand well back and enjoy the melange. The big, the big story uh, in the United States, I don't know whether it's of much interest if you happen to be listening in uh, Tuvalu or the South Sandwich Islands, but the big story in the United States is, uh, is uh, Governor Cuomo, the governor of New York, Andrew Cuomo, who has been found by uh, the Attorney General of the state of New York to have sexually uh, molested uh, 11 women. It's quite a graphic document. He slid his hand up uh, under the blouse and cupped the breast, all that kind of thing. If, you, if you're into it, it's uh, well worth a read. And the question now is whether he's going to resign or brazen it out like uh, the Mammy singer in Virginia. Uh, did over the blackface. Everyone thought, oh my goodness, blackface. Uh, But he's a Democrat, so the rules don't apply. Uh, Governor Cuomo is a Democrat, so they may well not wish to sacrifice him because uh, sticking with the sleaze bag means you deny the right a victory. And that's what it's uh, all about. And if you, what's fascinating though, if you read the document, I think there's a difference between so-called liberal men uh, and so-called conservative men. I mean, if you actually look at um, the the thing, like Bill O'Reilly, for example, Bill O'Reilly didn't actually get any sex. <laughs> That's what's so sad about all those so-called sex scandals. I've never understood this as an old Fleet Street hand. The idea of having sex scandals where you don't get any sex, but he, he's in an elevator. He gets out of the elevator and he 
sees one of his attractive African-American uh, colleagues coming towards him, and uh, he says, hey, looking good, hot chocolate, and uh, she complains about it and gets $2 million. Uh, he, he's caught on a tape... Uh, <laughs> Whatever that thing is with the falafel or the loofah, he wants, he can't remember the name for loofah, so he gets confused with falafel and he wants to be in a shower with the, the young lady and rub a falafel up her back, which is, which would be quite nice, actually. I rather like the sound of that. Um, but he doesn't, he doesn't actually get to rub the falafel off her back. And that's what most of these uh, so called right wings say. Uh, 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 on the left, it's different. And I think if you talk to women who've... The character of leftist men is that they care about humanity in general, but human beings in particular, not all leftist men, but a lot, they treat like garbage. And generally speaking, as you can hear, what's fascinating about reading this report is the so-called culture the broader culture in his office that the Attorney General is upset about, where they all seem to accept the idea that Andrew Cuomo, as he said, is culturally programmed to touch you in intimate body parts. He's, he's trying to say it's an Italian thing, that he just touches you all over, and that he's always done it, and he, always, and he put together a montage that showed how he'd always done it. He did it with Al Gore. So if you if you can touch Al Gore all over, why can't he touch his staffers all over? So they and but the culture in these uh, in these so-called liberal men's offices, the the men who profess to love all humanity but treat humans as individuals like garbage, is that these men are so great that one must indulge their appetites for the broader cause. It was it was summed up in the Clinton era. Actually, I had a slight acquaintanceship with this lady because she was a friend of a friend. So she came to stay with me in New Hampshire uh, for a, a long weekend or something. And uh, she was, I think she was with Time magazine at the time. And uh, she had her long weekend uh, at my pad. And then she uh, flew back down to Washington and shortly thereafter uh, gave a quote that summed up the era, that she would gladly get out her presidential knee pads, which was an expression. In New York, they also have gubernatorial knee pads, apparently. But she would gladly uh, get out her presidential knee pads and uh, give one to Bill uh, Clinton to thank him for keeping abortion legal. And she, she, made, she accepted that as a generous trade-off. Now, whether she would also accept being uh, groped like the, uh, like the uh, New York women groped by uh, Governor Cuomo, I don't know. But, that, that, but when you look at all the damage control people, including his unwatched brother, I can't even remember his first name, that Cuomo who's on CNN... And, uh, and who uh, even dilettante Canadians can clobber in the ratings with ease. Uh, I don't think he even breaks a million uh, most nights, as opposed to uh, certain Canadians. Um, but at that rate, at, at any rate, um, uh, these damage control people all accept the Nina Burley trade-off. We would gladly get out our gubernatorial knee pads just to thank him for being in the forefront of the Me Too movement. This is, this is 
this is actually a snapshot of uh, of liberalism. Uh, so that's the that's the big story for whatever it's worth. And if you've got any questions, I'll take that. But this is about your questions. Wherever you are on the planet, uh, you can listen to the show for free. If you want to join the Mark Sign Club, you can ask me a question. And if you join in the course of the show and ask a question, we'll try and shunt it up to the front of the line because we do like new members. David Lister writes, Hi, Mark. I just saw that Amazon's offering a $10 coupon to those who scan their palm. <laughs> For biometric payment purposes, so they say. Am I wrong to be terrified by this? <laughs> what ought to terrify you is how cheap it is. Oh, 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 Amazon. You, uh, Amazon, that's the uh, biggest company on the planet, headed by the richest man on the planet, who also owns the Washington Post and is a political... He's not just a businessman, he's a political activist. And his company also does uh, work. Uh, in the security uh, area for governments around the planet. So I'm going to give him uh, my fingerprints uh, so that I'll be in the Amazon database that they share with governments uh, should anything happen. Oh, and what do I get for that in return? Oh, I get a $10 gift. Oh, now you're talking. Now, I wouldn't have done it for five bucks. I would have considered it, but on balance probably rejected it for $7.99. But if it's a $10 gift certificate, count me in. Yeah, <laughs> great. Midwestern Tim writes, Is there any way to get hockey stick global warmonger Michael E. Mann? This is the guy who's been suing me. We're now in the 10th year of this case. He keeps, <laughs> he keeps losing. He is starting to take on the characteristic of the uh, only a flesh wound night in the Monty Python thing. Uh, is there any way, but <laughs> they're getting rid of all my useless co-defendants. The judge is kicking them out of the case. Um, I think we're down to just uh, uh, me and one other now. So uh, I never like to have a crowded defence table in the courtroom because you just look like a clown car because there's a plaintiff's table where there's one guy with his lawyers and then there's a defence table. And if you've got four defendants, you're all just sitting around there with uh, 37 lawyers and the jury just thinks you're a clown car. I can't, can't stand that. So I'm very pleased with the way they're eliminating all the other co-defendants. Uh, is there any way, says Midwestern Tim, to get man to pay up when he finally loses to you as well? Any way you can drain him of his resources so he can't keep up this legal charade a minute longer? Any way you can sue his lawyers for being <laughs> vexatious litigators? Actually, one of that cockwomble Carrie Katz's lawyers, a guy called Ben Scheibe, if you're in a case, don't hire this guy because he's a crap lawyer. He's been a partner for a third of a century at this useless uh, law firm in California and New York. And he's just absolutely hopeless. Absolutely hopeless. Andrew Lawton, our, uh, our uh, Canadian colleague, uh, he came down for uh, the last trial and he asked if he could handle a couple of the cross-examinations just because he'd been sitting in the room for a couple of days and was getting a bit bored. So he was practising as an undocumented barrister. And it's pretty easy to kick uh, uh, this guy. Uh, some of the, There's an awful lot of bad lawyers, but he threatened to sue me for, I think, uh, 
uh, what would I think I was threatening to I brought up uh, some improper practice of his or whatever it was and he threatened to sue me go ahead punk make my day um I don't want to sue uh, Michael E Mann's lawyers in fact I quite like his uh, lead lawyer he's a rather convivial fellow um I don't know <laughs> I don't know whether he's getting paid by Michael Mann and we'll see how that goes Josh Paschal says of that uh, latest uh Passel Passel uh, says of that latest legal filing, six weeks to say sod, six pages to say sod off. That's what the judge takes. No wonder the justice system is so sclerotic. Uh, when they do a legal briefing, that uh, a ruling that seems far more detailed than it has to be, they're basically trying to make it appeal proof. So they're they're explaining their thinking all the way through. Um, so that you can't that, and that's uh, so that because otherwise you can just say this is complete bollocks uh, your uh, the motion is denied and then they're gonna come back and uh, appeal it for you but that's uh, uh, though I admit he says says Josh that citing a precedent involving Hustler magazine is a clever way of keeping the eyes on the page yeah in in I think one of the Carrie Katz cases, the big precedent case was either Penthouse versus Playboy or Playboy versus Penthouse. I can't remember which one it is. They might be separate cases, uh, but, but you have to have a bit of that just to just to keep just to keep the uh, fellas' eyes uh, on there. Um, David O'Neill says writes from Australia and says, Mark, when discussing dystopian novels. You've often said you are less interested in stories of survival in an upturned world than in how and why a society might arrive at that point. Well, now you know it didn't take a nuclear war or a meteor strike. We simply went mad and abandoned common sense and anything else that worked. Did you ever imagine it would happen as soon or as quickly as this? Well, in a certain sense, it's been a long time coming. Because these things have all been in the air for 50, 60 years. If you take my view that our loss of civilizational self-confidence dates from the end of the Great War, then this stuff has been uh, chuntering along for a century or so. So it, it, it has taken a quite, uh, uh, quite a while, but it, it's, the, uh, it, it's the old line uh, that I've quoted before, you know, how did you go bankrupt first gradually, then suddenly? So we've had the gradually phase and we're now in the, in the suddenly phase. And, and what's bewildering, you know, this is why, you know, I was listening to some so-called talk radio show as I was uh, heading into the studio and they weren't talking about it. Uh, like a lot of talk radio, they weren't talking about anything that mattered. They were talking about politicians, they were interviewing some congressman I'd never heard of who sits on some committee I'd never heard of. Uh, and all the time, we're, we're in an age when uh, we, the, the, the left has succeeded in abolishing sex, where people have the, the... We no longer agree on pronouns, so people have the right to stand up and do and an, announce their pronouns on uh, Twitter and Facebook and in presidential debates, as Kamala Harris... And the, and the right just said, no, 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 I can't hear you. We're just uh, going to uh, talk about uh, some tax cut we're planning. And, uh, and uh, in Mrs. Thatcher's great line, the facts of life are conservative and uh, they will 
always, uh, and they will always be so. But the left says there are no facts. Facts of life. The facts of life used to be that uh, the, the, the boy had what we now call exterior genitalia and the girl had what uh, they now call, in hospitals, serious people, internal genitalia. And the facts of life have been abolished. Uh, and there is no there is no less relevant line. Um, I was talking about this on Fox News primetime a week or two back, that th this line of Ben Shapiro's, which sounds so clever, your feelings don't trump my facts. The history of this century is that feelings trump facts. The fact is uh, that a nothing country aided by terrorists, Afghanistan and terrorists, uh, put men on planes to blow up buildings in the heart of lower Manhattan. And the response to that, uh, the, the only response to that that matters is not 20 years running around Helmand province, but that basically the entire West thought, oh, we need to show how nice we are, so let's double the rate of Muslim immigration. Oh, look, here's another fellow who's just uh, driven up on the sidewalk and uh, ploughed his SUV through a Christmas market in Germany. Oh, um, that just shows we need to uh, demonstrate more how much we love Islam. You know, everywhere you look, the feelings have trumped facts. Uh, that's that's actually the f and so and so as long as well. And that's again why I do my uh, you know don't wave your constitution at me thing, <laughs> because the constitution is full of facts and not a lot of feelings. Feelings. And uh, everywhere we... And the, the whole thing, what's going on... Oh, oh sure, letting in infected people during a pandemic. Uh, that's, uh, that's, uh, that's crazy, that. Um, so we have no... Um, uh, you know, that would seem crazy on a fact basis, but on a feelings basis, oh, yes, I, I love to wear a mask. And I'm, uh, I love to wear, in fact, three or four masks. And I've got no plans to leave the house because I think it's so important just to make sure that we finally eliminate COVID. But let's uh, let all these COVID-infected people in across the southern border because we like to celebrate diversity. You've got to have feelings, feelings, feelings. Nothing more than feelings. Uh, more of your questions imminently, but first, as you know, our Brit wanker copper started mainly with the Metropolitan Police and the English wanker coppers and then spread to Scotland, uh, Northern Ireland, and then so many Canadian and Australian listeners submitted world-class wankery from the senior dominion and uh, from the lucky country that we were persuaded to expand uh, the brit wanker coppers to british commonwealth wanker coppers and then the aussies started running away in the wanker states so it seemed appropriate to commission an expensive customized professional theme to oh god no it's not still this thing is it good day Mate. All together now, timey wanker cop down sport. Timey wanker cop down. He's wankered up the old town sport. So timey wanker cop down. 
Yeah. yeah. We're not really trying there, are we? Gee, it's almost like my contempt for the Australian constabulary is so total I can't even be bothered wasting any wit or creative energy upon them. As I mentioned on Monday, the Queen has approved the appointment as the next Governor of Queensland of the state's long-serving public health officer, uh, Dr Jeanette Young, the first public health officer in any jurisdiction, I believe, to ride the COVID to the highest office in the state, but surely not the last in Australia or America or all kinds of other places. Meanwhile, in Brisbane's Botanical Gardens... Very nice. I've perambulated there myself, though not since Australia became what Tucker called last night a COVID dictatorship. Um, in Brisbane's Botanical Gardens, an elderly Queenslander was strolling through those gardens without a mask because he has a mask exemption, because he has a medical condition that does not permit him comfortably to wear a mask. There is, of course... No medical reason why one should wear a mask in the open air. There is no science whatsoever behind mask mandates outside in parks. So uh, we should all have a medical exemption for that because there's no medical reason to be wearing a park, uh, a mask for strolling through the park or to wear a park uh, for strolling through a mask, which would make just as much sense from a scientific point of view. Uh, nevertheless, even if there were, you don't have to carry your official exemption upon your person and produce it upon demand. Because even in the new penal colony of COVID Australia under its lunatic political leadership, that smacks a little too much of your papers, mine hair. But the Queensland Police Service, having been very hurriedly granted extraordinary powers that no policeman in free societies should have, uh, have had no serious training in wielding those powers with any sensitivity or discretion. So they demanded the elderly or basic common sense, uh, as our Australian correspondent uh, put it uh, a few minutes ago. Um, so these guys, these coppers, demanded the elderly chap's papers, and when he declined to produce them, the situation escalated, and he wound up arrested and handcuffed. And fortunately, his good lady was there to record it. What did you need to know? What did you need to know? He works at Bandara. We are on our way. What, what is the reason why you need to know? I told him that. Bandara, it's at Murray. Would you like to ring them? And... Oh, did you hear that? Did you hear that? Uh, the wanker coppers handcuffing the old geezer uh, because they were, quote, not confident he would comply with directives. Uh, at the scene, I counted seven officers in the botanical garden, seven officers dispatched to arrest an old man with a medical condition. And then the old man collapsed with some sort of seizure. Just let me get it for God's sake. Where is it, darling? Where is it? 
Say to you, believe me now, you pricks. Uh, this is great stuff. He was spasming on the ground. Darling, I will, I will, I will. Darling, how much do you have? He's spasming on the ground there, and you hear her say, quite reasonably enough, uh, do you believe me now, you pricks? Uh, that's the old Queensland joke, I believe. What's the difference between a porcupine and a Queensland police car pulling up at the botanical gardens. One's got pricks on the outside and the other's got pricks on the inside. The missus, or friend or partner or whatever, had his medication and she wished to give it to him, but the seven wanker coppers decided to upgrade to premium wanker uh, so they explained that neither she nor they were permitted to administer any medication. So the guy just had to lie there spasming until the ambulance showed up. This is a guy who has a medical condition for which he has medication. Uh, and his medication is so necessary that uh, she carries it with him when they go out strolling in the park. But apparently the police are allowed, the Queensland Police Service are not allowed to permit her to administer to it. So he just has to lie on the ground there spasming as the seven wanker coppers stand around. Our society, that is to say the English-speaking nations that have the longest tradition of sustained liberty over centuries, uh, doesn't really deserve to survive. The only thing to be said is that, on balance, uh, we're better than the available alternatives, which is basically the Mullers or the Chicoms. But that's not really saying much, is it? We're 18 months into this, and in much of the so-called free world, it's getting worse. And so it is that the Queensland Police Service claim their first wanker copper title. And really, you have to be impressed that seven officers went through police training, qualified as policemen, took their oaths, so they could take down an old, sick man, send him into seizure, and then deny him medication. Uh, congratulations, Queensland coppers. You've earned the full mega-wanker. We don't have our mega-wanker ident, but I am so loathe these Queensland coppers. I think I'm going to sing it myself. Uh, who's the wanker? Who's the wanker? Who's the wanker in the big blue hat? Big blue hat. Who's the wanker in the big blue hat? That's for you, wankers in the Queensland Police Service. Um, uh, let's go back to your questions. We're doing a combined, uh, a combined uh, Mark Stein Show Clubland Q&A here. Scott Scherzer writes from Miami Beach, it's difficult not to become despondent as America quickly approaches the abyss. History shows that all great civilizations recede in time. How much longer do you think we've got? Will there be a major cataclysm or will we just fade away? I will await your <coughs> answer prior to making dinner plans. How much longer do you think we've got? <laughs> you haven't got any time. It's happened. China runs the world. China has plundered. What's been normal? I mean, this is, you know, think of everything that's ended in the last year and a half, whether it's all the small businesses, the restaurants that have closed, the hair salons that have closed, or whether it's the big things, 
international tourism is over. Uh, Broadway is supposedly reopening. There's some play opening at the August Wilson Theatre. He doesn't really deserve to have a theatre named after him, if you ask me, but he has. Uh, but uh, there's a play opening. You have to wear a mask to attend that play. You have to show proof of vaccination. And even if you have been vaccinated, you've got to wear a mask to sit there and watch a play. Now, a lot of people, I get this whenever I used to talk about the theatre on Rush. Oh, I don't like the theatre. I hate it. Sometimes the missus takes me to a play and I sit there bored out of my head for two hours watching a lot of hoity-toity types yakking on stage. OK? <laughs> so the next time she makes you go to the theatre, you're going to have to wear a mask. How bloody miserable is that going to be? Now, of course, 70 this is Broadway. 70% of Broadway's customers are tourists. And if you walk through the canyons of Manhattan right now, you will see that the streets are empty. There aren't any tourists. The hotels are empty. This, this, has, been, this, this has been inflicted on us by one nation. One nation. And nobody dares. And ever since day one... When, uh, what was that guy, Dr. Anderson, I think, in the, in the released Fauci emails, January last year. I've been looking at this uh, genetic, uh, the genetic uh, print of this COVID thing, uh, and I don't think it can occur in nature. So this idea that a pangolin, remember them, pangolins? They were all the rage. Supposedly COVID came from the old pangolin. I don't think a pangolin or a bat... Uh, can have given this thing to a human being. It looks to me as like something that's been cooked up in a laboratory. And um, uh, and uh, Fauci says, uh, oh, I'm going to need to speak to you on the telephone. He replies very coolly. Mm, thank you for your email. I'm going to need to speak to you on the telephone right now. So can you clear all lines? Because I'm going to be dialing you and we need to speak. Now, we have no idea what they spoke about on the telephone. But three days later, Dr. Anderson has fallen into line and says that anyone who says this thing was cooked up in a lab is a conspiracy theorist. Because all these people, somehow, mysteriously, wherever you go, but particularly in the public health ministries of the world, nobody wants to get on the wrong side of the... It, it's almost as if... When you read Fauci's emails uh, and uh, these other guys, uh, that every one of them is behaving as if China's already won. China's already won. So it, there's not going to be a major cataclysm. There's not going to be shock and awe. They don't need to do it with shock and awe. They don't need to do it with shock and awe is for rubes. Lighten up the skies for rubes. This thing is better. Yeah, you don't have to, don't have to go and build a camp uh, in, uh, in the middle of Helmand province or in Fallujah, do you? This way of taking over the world is way better. Uh, so it's unusual, this. It's not like, obviously, you know, the big transfer of power uh, after the Second World War was from the British. 
uh, to the Americans. That's about as compatible a transfer, no disrespect to Americans who <laughs> don't like the comparison, uh, with the uh, cousins, as the lads at the CIA say. Uh, but the um, but that's about as compatible a transfer of global power as, as you can imagine. Uh, then you go back to, what, I don't know, Trafalgar, uh, that basically determined whether it would be the British or the French who would get to uh, bestride the world. Again, you know, people don't like the French for this, that or the other, but the French are basically in the ballpark of, uh, of where we are. And then you go back to Portugal and Spain and whatever. And the chi- this is not, you know, when, you're, when, when the Chamber of Commerce, homo economicus, the same kind of people who, who think that, you know, eco- economics determines society. So they don't even meet their own, <laughs> follow their own rules on that because they basically gave the American economy to the Chinese. And, you know, the American economy was run by Americans and uh, for, for whatever that's worth. Now the American economy is run by, the chi- by Chinese communists who have uh, no compunction about killing people if it's convenient to them. Ask a Uyghur about that. And so all the things that were some, supposed to cement global dominance, right, Oh, you know, once you let some of these jihad boys watch an American car chase movie, then they'll uh, uh, soak up American values and they won't be going Allahu Akbar on us anymore. What a, have you ever heard such nonsense? And in any case, Americans' dominance in pop culture is increasingly made for and it's sports, movies, you know, oh, I've got a movie to plug and I accidentally said something about Taiwan. Uh, so now I'm going to uh, apologize to the Chinese, which is what the guy in Fast and Furious 137 just did. You know, it's happened. How do we reverse it? You know, they haven't even officially taken over the world yet. It's, it's not, it, the announcement hasn't been made. Uh, but already, uh, they've uh, they've killed millions of people around in two hundred countries around the planet, uh, and and uh, 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 and they're uh, they did that deliberately by putting people on airplanes and flying them out all over the planet. And so we're thinking that some oh China the minute if we let China have a piece of the global economy, then they're going so that they can trade with America. Uh, then they will become more like us. Have you ever heard such crap? Total crap. And I, as, t- as I said, I was listening to this American talk show, talk radio. This is driving in. They're not talking about anything. They're not talking about anything. Well, 2022 is looking pretty good. And, of course, then the Republicans will be in the majority, just like they were in 20, uh, what was that, the 2016. Uh, the uh, American, the uh, GOP was in the majority. Oh, yeah, what did they do with it? What do we have to show for it? It's all complete crap. Waste of time, complete waste of time. I'm going to take, uh, let's uh, we got to, we're doing a combined show, combined show, and I want to make sure... I uh, I get a uh, I get a lot of questions in Dan and Linda Phillips. I think it's Dan writing this actually because he refers to his wife in the third person. So presumably she may not have signed off on this email. 
But uh, Dan says that Linda, my wife, and I were teenagers in the 60s, but currently more days than not we feel as though we are strangers in our own land. We understand how we got to the current cesspool-manipulated news, fraudulent elections, censorship by the tech tyrants, the visceral fear of cancel culture, the catalytic agent of the Wu flu, and for the most part, spineless Republicans, to name but a few. And we understand that it has been in the works for decades, maybe even since John Dewey et al., but the fact remains that tens of millions of Americans voted for Joe Biden, our own fellow citizens. And what is incomprehensible to us is the compliance, the acquiescence, the willingness to be subjugated, even the denial of and the tacit acceptance of the loss of all our fundamental liberties having occurred at a lightning speed. What will it take to galvanize Americans in the form of mass protests and or civil disobedience to try to take control of our own destiny. I'm in favour of civil disobedience. It was a condition of my admission to the country that I not foment the overthrow of the government. Uh, and uh, I don't know whether that's the United States government or whether it also includes state governments, county governments, municipal governments, the local uh, school board... But I'm in favour, I'm generally in favour of fermenting. I'm in favour of widespread civil disobedience. Uh, and actually, well, I, you know, I don't speak for everyone on this. So I, just for the moment, I believe in narrow spread civil disobedience in that I don't do half the things I'm, I'm meant to do. I, I'm, uh, I'm meant to do on some of this stuff. I lead the life. I do what I, I do what is necessary to lead the life I want to lead which is as a, uh, a, a free-born person in a free society. So a lot of the things that are going on in the United States and in Canada and in the UK and the European Union are not compatible with free societies. And I would, I would <clears throat> you know, what we have here, for example, we've seen in Australia, as, uh, as, as Tucker put it, it's basically a COVID dictatorship. And they've accepted it as a COVID dictatorship. Now, you're seeing pushback in France and Germany. With France, I think it's just that uh, what, what my father, my, my parents lived in France for much of uh, the latter part of their lives. And what my father loved about France was its Epicurean perfection the way you'd have uh, two villages, you know, five miles apart, but they'd have completely different wines, completely different cheeses, completely different sausages. It was, it was a, an Epicurean federalism, which you don't really get uh, in New Hampshire. In New Hampshire, you can have two towns 10 miles apart, and they'll have completely different school systems and completely different parking rules and completely different speed limits. But all the food, all the cheese and all the wine is all the same because it's regulated by the United States Department of Agriculture, which should be abolished. Um, so, uh, so the French are annoyed because the Epicurean perfection of their lives has been totally disrupted by this thing. And what's interesting is the alliance on the street. You get the gilets jaunes types who are basically lefties, and then you get the uh, the um, Marine Le Pen types who are basically righties. I mean, these terms aren't really useful when the restaurants are closed because <laughs> left or right, you got to eat. 
Uh, and they're uh, and they're protesting about these vaccine passports and all the, and all the rest of it. And we need that. It's actually that Queensland Police Service. It's pathetic for me even to have to take a bit of tape and uh, and put it on the airwaves because actually people should be mad about this stuff. They should be actually they should they and they're not mad. You know, again, the George Orwell line, there is no tub. And to go back to a line I used with Tucker the other night about Obama's party, and it applies to the presidential knee pads too, the gubernatorial knee pads of the people in, uh, of the people in uh, Cuomo's office who see this. We've got to keep Cuomo. Yes, yes, he's very touchy-feely. Yes, yes, he slid his hand up my skirt and felt my butt too. Yes, he put his hand up my blouse and was tweaking my nipple. But look, he's a great man. He's one of our rulers. He was presidential material. They all said so. He got an Emmy for his handling of the COVID crisis, by which we mean he killed thousands of people. That's impressive. Most governors wouldn't be able to kill that many people, even if they wanted to. But we got to keep him in power. we got to keep him because he and it's the same thing as the Obama. Yes. Well, it's fine for him to have uh, 500 people he doesn't know, like George Clooney at his birthday party. 500 close friends he doesn't know. Nobody there from his grade school in Indonesia. He uh, sloughed those guys off years ago, but George Clooney wants to come. And people, and there's a lot of it, as I said to Tucker, there is a lot of people who are more comfortable being subjects than citizens. And that's simply a fact. And you see it in every aspect. You know, oh, look, 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 Chelsea Clinton. She's completely boring and talentless. But she's the daughter of the beloved Bill Clinton, rapist president. You know, the monarchical urge lingers even in a, whatever it is, 240-year-old republic. People, a lot of people are more comfortable being, uh, and that particularly applies when you're in aging society. When you're in demographic decline, you you don't reproduce, you have no, uh, you, you have no transcendent meaning to life, you don't believe in God, you don't go to church, and even in secular terms, you've been taught, you've been taught to reject your entire civilizational inheritance, so that old guys on statues are problematic and they all have to be chopped down, and then you live in a land of empty plinths. Empty plinths. Because you're a society that doesn't believe in anything, that has no heroes. Uh, and uh, you don't have kids. Uh, you've stepped out of the demographic stream of life. Uh, so you're no longer part of that great continuity. And in any case, there aren't any great continuity now. Some guy who walks across the border today is just as American as you. Some guy right now, that guy he hasn't made landfall yet. He's in the skiff on the Rio Grande. He's like still, he's like 17 feet from getting here, 
but he's as American as you. So you don't actually have any generational continuity. In fact, we don't even have biological continuity anymore because the whole thing is that, oh, look, look, Fred's just married Irving. What a lovely couple they are. And they've been trying for a child for some time, but nothing seems to work. Uh, but uh, not to worry because they're going to co-mingle their sperm and uh, put it in a test tube and ship it somewhere. And then they're going to have... So we, we no longer have... We've eliminated so much. And we're surprised that we've wound up with people so self-centered that the priority now is that they're willing, because that's the interesting thing. It's not just government versus the people, but it's that a huge proportion, as you see on Twitter or Facebook or any of these things, or if you it's old-fashioned enough and your governor permits you to talk to your neighbors, uh, you know, you're allowed to go and talk to other people in your residential cul-de-sac, and they all say... Uh, oh, yeah, the COVID, it's just, I'm really disturbed. You know, we had 41 cases yesterday. What do you mean 41? Oh, people tested positive, yeah, but they're asymptomatic. They don't. People, people test positive for all kinds of things if you were to test them all the time. Oh, uh, yeah, yeah, I know, but I just don't feel it's safe to come out of the house or to take my mask off until we've entirely, we, well, we've never done that to anything. It doesn't matter what you're talking about. Uh, whether it's smallpox or polio or whatever, there's always one little thing out there somewhere. Oh, yeah, but I think it's different. I think it's different this time. I won't really feel safe until we've absolutely eliminated it. Yeah, yeah. It's going to take a lot. Galvanize is the word that uh, Dan Phillips uses. Galvanize, galvanize. Someone should form the galvanize. I said fermenting. Someone should form the galvanizing party. Anyway, it is, what is it? It's a quarter to the hour, give or take, uh, Eastern time, and indeed a quarter to the hour pretty much everywhere, except for those places like uh, Newfoundland and Iran and Nepal that have the half hour and quarter hour time zones. And we will have more of your questions imminently. Keep up to date with the past on the 100 Years Ago Show with Mark Stein. A joyous celebration in Massachusetts, a rout in North Africa, and a great voice still. It's August 1921. A hundred years from today. Your World News update, the voice of the century is no more. Enrico Caruso, the most beloved operatic tenor in the world, has died at the Grand Hotel Vesuvio in Naples, where he was staying en route to see his doctors in Rome. Signor Caruso was 48.
Take thou this rose, this little tender rose, the rarest flower in all God's garden fair. God has taken this rarest flower. Signor Caruso's doctors say the cause was peritonitis. He had been scheduled for emergency surgery but died before he could be taken to hospital. No sooner had he left us than his body, in evening dress as if for a recital, was put on display in the hotel lobby of the Vesuvio for thousands of mourners to file past. King Victor Emmanuel has given permission for the Royal Basilica of the Church of San Francesco di Paola to host Caruso's funeral. This is the sound of his magnificent voice on his last visit to the recording studio to sing Rossini's Petite Messe Solennelle. Spain, riots have broken out and soldiers have mutinied against King Alfonso XIII after the humiliating defeat of the Spanish army by tribesmen in North Africa. Spanish territories at Nadar and Ceylon in Morocco have fallen to rebel forces following the devastating defeat inflicted upon the king's troops at the Battle of Anwal. To date, over 2,000 square miles of territory have been taken by Rif tribesmen, and of 200 Spanish soldiers of the Ceylon garrison, all but nine have been killed.
The messy aftermath of the Great War continues in the wake of the Upper Silesia plebiscite in March. An expert report by the Committee of the Allied Supreme Council has recommended redrawing the border between Poland and Germany. The greater part of the very valuable Upper Silesian Industrial District has been awarded to Poland. In Italy, a pact of pacification has been signed between Signor Mussolini's growing fascist revolutionary party and the Italian Socialist Party and the General Confederation of Labour. In Germany, the National Socialist Workers' Party's security unit has been renamed the Tort und Sportabteilung, which means the Gymnastic and sports department sounds very hearty. In the Soviet Union, the Cheka, the secret police, have arrested the great Russian poet Nikolai Gumilyov on charges of being a monarchist. He is likely to be executed. Bolshevism continues to spread around the world, including in the British Empire, in Cape Town. The first Congress of the South African Communist Party has just concluded. Following Westminster's offer to make Southern Ireland not merely a self-governing province within the United Kingdom, but a full dominion uh, of the British Commonwealth, Eamon de Valera has summoned the members of his self-proclaimed Republican Parliament, the Dial Aaron, to meet in Dublin to discuss the proposal. In accordance with the agreement reached in London, all Sinn Féin members of Mr de Valera's so-called parliament, currently incarcerated, will be released from prison. In the United States at Plymouth, Massachusetts, President Harding has presided over observances of the tercentenary of the Pilgrim's Landing on American soil in difficult times. It is heartening to celebrate an occasion that has brought such unalloyed joy to Massachusetts and the nation. In more fractious news, Mr. Harding has informed a reluctant Congress that Secretary of State Hughes has concluded that the United States is obligated to lend $5 million to Liberia following the agreement made in September 1918. Wait till you get them up in the air. Is there nothing you can't do better up in the air? A feature of modern farming is the spraying of pesticides on fields and crops. Slow and tiresome work. But in a joint venture of the U.S. Department of Agriculture and the U.S. Army Signal Corps, pilot John McCready and engineer Etienne Dormoy have pulled off an historic first. They took off from McCook Field near Dayton, Ohio, and flew their Curtis JN-4 aeroplane over a farm near Troy, Ohio, where they dropped lead arsenate to kill caterpillars. The Department of Agriculture is said to be very interested in the aerial application of pesticides. The United States Coast Guard has seized the British schooner, the Henry L. Marshall, in international waters more than three miles off the coast of Atlantic City. On board, the Coast Guard found 12,000 cases of bootleg liquor. Transmitting written documents by telegraph across the Atlantic? It sounds like something from science fiction, yet it has happened. The so-called Belinograph machine has been used in Europe 
But this is the first time it has been employed in the Americas. A handwritten message from New York Times editor C.V. Van Ander was transmitted from Annapolis, Maryland. Seconds later, a printed facsimile of that message then rolled off the receiving machine at Malmaison near Paris. In sports news, a Chicago jury has rejected conspiracy charges against eight members of the White Sox team to throw the 1919 World Series because prosecutors had failed to prove their case beyond a reasonable doubt. However, the men will not be returning to the ball field. Baseball officials say the preponderance of the evidence is sufficient to keep the former players out of the game forever. As Commissioner Landis put it, quote, regardless of the verdict of juries, no player that throws a ball game, no player that undertakes or promises to throw a ball game, no player that sits in a conference with a bunch of crooked players and gamblers where the ways and means of throwing games are planned and discussed and does not promptly tell his club about it will ever play professional baseball. Takes me out to the ball game. Take you out to the ball game. Who needs it? We can stay at home for the ball game. The enterprising broadcasting station KDKA has become the first to air a live baseball game, the Pittsburgh Pirates versus the Philadelphia Phillies at Forbes Field. As thousands of listeners tuned in, Harold Arlen of the Westinghouse Electric and Manufacturing Company reported every twist and turn of the play until the final score. Pirates over the Phillies, 8-5. to five. The English golfer James Douglas Edgar was one of the best players in the world of recent years. He won the French Open in 1914, and two years ago decided to emigrate to America. Almost immediately, he won the Canadian Open by a record 16 strokes. He was found lying in a pool of his own blood on Atlanta's famous Peachtree Street and died in the road before medical help could arrive. He leaves a wife and two children in England. Atlanta police say they are baffled by the mysterious death, but there are rumours Mr. Edgar was conducting an affair with a married woman in the city. He was 36. Vajir Ranana Vararaza was the 47th child of King Mongat of Siam by one of His Majesty's many concubines. He grew up to be his country's foremost intellectual philosopher and the preeminent codifier of institutional Buddhism. The supreme patriarch of Siam this last decade... Vajiranana Varorosa is dead at 61. Alexander Bloch was an acclaimed Russian poet, but the Bolsheviks gave him a bad case of writer's block. 
Mr. Block wrote no poetry at all these last three years. With his health in decline, his doctors recommended treatment abroad, but the Soviet government refused to let him leave the country. Maxim Gorky wrote on Mr. Block's behalf to the first Soviet People's Commissar, Anatoly Lunacharsky. Quote, Block is Russia's finest poet. If you forbid him to go abroad and he dies, you and your comrades will be guilty of his death. The political bureau of the Central Committee took their time, but eventually permission for Mr. and Mrs. Block to leave Russia was signed by Comrade Molotov. The notice has just arrived. Unfortunately, Alexander Block died three days ago. He was 40. And that's the way of the world, August 1921. A hundred years from today. A hundred years from today. They all laughed at Christopher Columbus when he said he was going into the music business, but he made it. He's there, name-checked in a lot of big standard songs. And we'll be spending a bit of time with the Christopher Columbus songbook on Stein's Song of the Week. You can learn a lot of history from popular songs. Well, maybe not from the hippity-hop and the thrash metal, but you can from Cole Porter and the Gershwins. I'm Mark Stein. See you Sunday at 5.30 on 7-8 Radio. And 5.30 London time is 12.30 in New York, 9.30 a.m. in uh, Vancouver and Los Angeles. So it's kind of a Sunday brunchy show over here, but we do hope you'll want to dial us up. Let me get back to your questions here on the Mark Stein Show, Clubland Q&A, double double mutation epsilon variant. Uh, Georges Pazin, George Pazin... I've been giving him the full francophone so long now. Uh, it's it's sort of lodged in my mind. He's been completely de-anglicized. Uh, George goes, hi, Mark. Do you have any thoughts on how Sweden's approach to COVID worked out? I've read a bit from others, but I don't know if I trust them. Well, the easiest way uh, is to, you can Google this and you can see scenes of Swedes living normal lives, They're normal Swedish lives. They're all like lithe and sporty and they're sitting around at sidewalk cafes and they're having drinks and they're enjoying normal social life and nobody's talking about mask mandates. Nobody's talking like chumpy McChump pants of the National Institutes of Health about how you should wear masks when you're with your children having dinner with them. And they're still going. Sweden will die as Sweden, if you make allowances for the uh, uh, <laughs> the parts of the country that are filled with the more excitable Mohammedans. But basically, they've had a better year and a half than we have, and they don't have a catastrophe to show for it, uh, which speaks well for them. They basically decided we're going to suck it up and take it. And you know what? Uh, they're different from us because they're a lot healthier than us. Uh, so they don't have the same kind of comorbidities. But the same could be said of a lot of other uh, European countries, the Netherlands and what have you. And yet they decided to go full lockdown. So the Swedes, the Swedes are still Sweden. And it isn't a catastrophe. And that's really all you need to know. Bernadette Cahill writes, Two thoughts, Mark. Masking is a license to commit crimes without being recognised. 
so does that mean the left is planning another bout of violence? Uh, also, what do you bet that soon we'll be ordered to mask up during our private Zoom meetings? Do you know, Joe Biden did mask up for a Zoom meeting, didn't he? He was on a Zoom meeting. What was it? G7 or NATO leaders or whatever it was. But he was there with, uh, I forget who was on there with him, Angela Merkel or Justin Trudeau. Uh, and So he's on a Zoom call with world leaders and he's wearing a mask. Um, uh, I'd be surprised if they introduce that for everybody. Um, but you'll still be able to recognise You'll obviously still be able to recognise Jeffrey Tubin when he's on a Zoom call. Uh, or that, uh, whatever he is, the deputy minister of whatever it is in uh, the Canadian government who always likes to get naked in Zoom calls, even if he has to wear a mask. What was he doing? In one Zoom call, I think he was urinating, and I think the other he was masturbating. But generally speaking, you'll you'll be able to differentiate him from the other participants in the Zoom call. It's more basic than that, though, Bernadette. You know, masking is a licence to commit crimes without being recognised. That's true. That's why, you know, on the door of the bank, it says that if you're a motorcycle courier, you have to take your helmet off before you go into the bank. They don't like to see helmeted people in uh, inside in inside uh, the bank. Um, it's more basic than that. It's about being a high-trust society. That's that's what it means to be a high-trust society. People are not masked. That's also why we have the handshake. So it's interesting that in that sense, the, the violence and the riots and the statue toppling and the COVID regime are all basically a disavowal of who we are as, as, a, uh, as a people. Uh, and so that's why when public health officials start saying, oh, uh, yeah, forget about the handshaking, that's never coming back. Sorry, uh, that, that's, that's part of why we're a civilised society, because you're showing you do not have a weapon in your hand, you do not have a sword in your hand, you do not have a machete like so many of the excitable lads on the streets of western cities and so it's a it's a symbol of trust likewise the face the reason why courts for example said uh, in much of the world said well basically the jury has to when when people said well i'm uh, an observant muslim woman so i i want to testify uh, fully covered and they said well no one of the ways you judge someone's credibility is by the fact that their face is not masked. That's how the jury makes a judgment on whether that evidence can can be believed. And that's true. We all know that. It's, it's all the, the, the songs we sing. Smile, though your heart is breaking. Smile. Even, there is something important about facial features. And so to bury them for a year and a half, weird, creepy, and, and actually a sign that we're basically, as I said earlier, going out of business. Dan says, is Supreme Court packing needed when their decisions can simply be ignored vis-a-vis -vis the CDC eviction moratorium? Well, as I've said, I can care less about judges. Screw your judges. A judge's republic is a contradiction in terms. And 
the fact that five out of nine judges think this or that is interesting. To, but if you say to me, well, we threw off, this is where, again, don't wave your constitution at me. Because the founding fathers wouldn't have been into a judge's republic either. They didn't throw off a king, one guy in ermine, to prostrate themselves before nine guys in basic black. So uh, John O'Sullivan, my old friend, actually recommended in National Review 30 years ago that when the Supreme Court makes a decision you don't like, you should say basically, well, thank you very much, and then do what you want to do. And uh, the right didn't take John O'Sullivan up on that, but the left has <laughs> all these years later. My dear friend, Dr. Roy Epen from Montreal writes, when will the U.S. open their land border to Canadians? The border closure is a disaster for both sides. And I had to miss my Star Trek, Star Trek event in Ticonderoga because I couldn't fly there to see William Shatner on the Enterprise set. Now we're talking. Now we're talking. All over the world, people, they're, they're, they're not allowed to do their work. They're not allowed to leave their home. <laughs> they're uh, not allowed to send their kids to school. But Dr. Roy has identified the real crisis. He couldn't get to see William Shatner on the Starship Enterprise in Ticonderoga. Now we're getting to the nub of it. Um <laughs> You know, you say, Dr. Roy, the border closure, my kids go back and forth. Their, their passports expired, I think, two months after this started. But they've been getting going back and forth across the U.S.-Canadian border basically just by blagging, uh, which I don't think anyone says in America, just by blagging their way across. So they're like total bluffers now. They just like, and I, it's a, I, I've encouraged it because it's a useful skill to pick up. Um, you know, the prostration before minor bureaucrats is just like unbecoming to a free people. So uh, my kids just like <laughs> just like talking their way across a supposedly shuttered border, uh, I find actually uh, quite impressive. And I think it's a, it's a useful skill to pick up because freedom of movement is over. And you say the border closure is a disaster for both sides. And it is in crude economic terms. For example, Burlington Airport in Vermont went to the trouble of putting up all the, went to the trouble of pretending it's a bilingual town, putting up all this signage in French everywhere to encourage people from Quebec. Nobody from Quebec can, has been using Burlington Airport in, in a year and a half. I, did they even have, have they got a Montreal Jazz Festival this year? Uh, no American tourists in Montreal. I mean, actually, people, people seem, it's fascinating, people seem to have accepted the end of freedom of movement, except for all the people on the United States southern border, uh, they seem to have accepted it. Dale Owen says, Dear Mark, I read recently that in the uh, late 90... Oh, before we take... I'll, I'll do this one question, then we're going to... Because we're running out of time. I read recently... Late 1960s, people of British, French, European descent made up more than 90% of the population of Canada. That percentage has now fallen to around 73% and seems destined to still fall still further in the decades to come. I'm very surprised, Dale, that it's as high as 73%. Given that homogeneity and not diversity is strength, what do you see as the likely impact of this demographic transformation? On the politics and culture of your homeland, says Dale, a Welshman living near Milan in Italy. Dale, 
It's every Western nation. If you go to any Western city now, with very few exceptions, uh, you'll notice that any big Western city, you'll notice that everybody under 50, say, certainly under 40, seems to come from somewhere else. And that no matter where you go, the people who serve you, the people who drive your cabs, uh, the people who uh, take your bags up in your hotel are all from, some, are all from somewhere else. As you say... Uh, diversity is not our strength. Uh, what's what's China's big advantage? It's got one billion, one point four billion people, of whom over well over a billion, well over a billion, uh, are all Han Chinese. They're all the same. There's no diversity. Have you seen the Chinese Politburo? There's no Hispanics on the Chinese Politburo. There's no blacks on the Chinese Politburo. There's no transgender Muslimas on the Chinese Politburo. They're all the same. Celebrate non-diversity with the Chinese Communist Party. And so what that means is all the stuff that bedevils us here, all the, uh, all the uh, identity politics crapola, they don't have. And it frees up an enormous amount of time to take over the world. Uh, let us have, we always like to have a little bit of music on the show. Today is the centenary of Herb Ellis. He's a fine jazz guitarist. I saw him in Toronto, I think, at the Royal York, back when there was freedom of movement. Um, he was one of a tight little band that Lou Rawls put together for a Crackerjack live album in 1966, including this cool, confident take on a song you surely know. This particular song that I'm speaking of now uh, was very instrumental in introducing uh, the bossa nova. They had a great, great hand in that, seeing as how Mr. Stan Getz, who was uh, one of the people that brought it from down south of the border, below the other border. He and a man named uh, Gilberto, I believe it was, put it together. The original title of this song, let me tell you, was uh, is The Girl from Ipanema. But uh, we have revised it somewhat. We call it The Girl from Biloxi. That's uh, down below the Cotton Curtain in Mississippi. But they have some beautiful beaches down there because we saw them as we flew over. You know, we looked out and saw them pretty sands and things down there. Talking about tall and tan and young and lovely. The girl from Ipanema goes a-walking in a wind. She passes each one, she passes goes. Uh-huh. I said when she walks, she's like a samba that swings so cool and sways so gentle that a wind. She passes each one, she passes goes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I said, oh. But I watch her so sadly I wonder how Can I tell her I love her I said oh yes I would give my heart gladly But each and every day As she walks to the sea You know she looks straight ahead She won't look back at me Not tall and tame She passes, I smile, but the girl just won't. She won't look back at me. We got Tommy Stoll on the piano. 
and some great work uh, on guitar in the fills between his uh, vocal lines <laughs> and like a playful little look at me from uh, what's, what's that oh misty yeah a little bit of misty uh right at uh, right at the end there we'll have a little more from herb ellis before we leave but i did want to get to churlish phil's question he says mark i'm particularly worried that iran is very close to producing fissionable material obama's handlers rice and jarrett are the linchpins to this very dangerous step toward allowing Iran to become a member of the nuclear club. This is perhaps more terrifying than any biological pathogen emanating from some laboratory in the Far East. Your thoughts? I don't think it is more terrifying. Yes, Iran will become a member of the nuclear club. Um, then it becomes a numbers game. If you've got a small number of nuclear weapon. If you've got, like, tons of nuclear weapons, like America, they're all gathering dust for three quarters of a century. You're in no hurry to use them. If you've... The general thinking is that if you've just got, like, a few of them, uh, then... <laughs> and you're up against other nuclear powers that have got way more, then the incentive is to use them. So I do think that Iran will become a member of the nuclear club if it isn't already. And uh, and the likelihood is that with a very small number of nukes, they will use those nukes. And the minute they do use the nukes, then it's over for Iran. Uh, but but it's not over for China. China China controls the global economy. China has bought everyone that it's bought universities. It's it's bought the most influential media platforms, including the pathetic New York Times. 
It owns everything that matters. Uh, so uh, China is forever and Iran may get to have a nuclear moment. I will see you back here for the latest episode of our current tale for our time, Jack London's Burning Daylight, and back on the radio tomorrow on Serenade at 9pm UK time for the Thursday rerun of uh, our song of the week and back on the telly in America with Tucker tomorrow night, Thursday. Let's go back uh, and, uh, and and sign off with uh, the guitarist Herb Ellis celebrating his centenary today. You know, jazz guys, they play all the great stuff. Jerome Kern, Richard Rogers. This is perhaps one of the greatest American compositions of the last hundred years. It's almost uh, an art song. Could almost be Schubert. Could almost be a great aria. Herb Ellis plays Hoyt Curtin. Stay safe, stay free, and have a yabba dabba do time. another edition of The Mark Stein Show. Production of Mark Stone Enterprises and Oak Hill Media. All rights reserved.